good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, May 20th, 2021. This program uh, is meant to present nutritional information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. But I'm not going to go any further with that because today we're talking constitutional issues and things like that with Mike Gaddy and Brad Peoples. So I'm going to dispense with all the additional stuff. The one thing I will say is visit my website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do it yourself, and health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. All kinds of information there, all the products we talk about are there. If you have any questions about anything, hit the contact me button, send me an email or call and leave a message. Either way, I'll get back with you as quick as I can, usually within a few hours. And I encourage you to check the um, radio shows tab at the top of the page. You'll see the link to the archive page set up through castbox.fm. And uh, scroll down a little further, you'll see the information about the shows we do, when they're on and how you listen. And then at the bottom of the page, you'll see the link uh, to the uh, Facebook page and the chat room. And, of course, the Facebook page won't have anything on it for um, a while because I'm back in Facebook jail again for posting the truth. And, uh, yes, I'm a recidivist, a repeat offender, a uh, Facebook felon. But I wear that badge proudly. Also, uh, while you're there, hit the uh, links page. And at the top of the page, you'll see a little, uh, looks like a little money tree icon. That's the link to our Your DIY Wealth sister page. And when you get there, click on the Hyperfund tab and learn about Hyperfund. It is an amazing program. Uh, Just before the show, I was doing repurchases on things and boosting my outcome. And uh, from what I understand, based on the money I put in there, by the end of the year, I will have greatly... I mean, massively, exponentially increased the uh, rewards that I'm going to be getting that can be converted into uh, cryptocurrency and or fiat currency if you want. But at this point, there's just uh, hyperfund units, rewards that uh, we're talking in the six figures, which are going to be pretty cool. Anyway, check that out. It's uh, going to be a great thing to have in the back office and you know wherever you are uh, as a means of um, keeping things going <laughs> in the future financially. Anywho, at this point, I'm going to get um, Mike Gaddy on the line, and then we will try and add in uh, Brad Peoples. And let's see here. Do, 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 do. I think... Well, for crying out loud, I hate when they do that. There he is. Done. Well, oops, did it the wrong way. On Skype, there we go. Hello, Jim. Hey, Mike, how are we? I'm doing well, sir. I hope you are. Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. Just getting ready to see if I can't add Brad in here. I haven't heard from him saying that he's not going to be able to make it, so hopefully he will be. And let's see here. Calling. Do, 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 do. <laughs> My goodness. I hope he's available. Hello. Hey, there he is. Hey, Brad, how's it going? 
Good. How are you guys? Uh, I'm great. Mike said he's great. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so let's see. I'm just setting things up for Monday here. There we go. Getting this stuff out of the way. Um, yeah, everything's going good. I got your um, request for help the other day, and unfortunately, I didn't see it until I think it was yesterday. I did respond. I don't know if you've seen this stuff or not, but I thought if you wanted to, we could chat about that today. Or we can go over anything else. I also got the little uh, news clip that Mike sent about the uh, guys down south going around, uh, military crews going to Seven uh, Elevens and bars to inject people with uh, COVID-19 bioweapons. So uh, we can cover any of that stuff or whatever else you guys feel like today. Okay, well, I didn't come to the table with an agenda, and I did get your... Uh, information and I responded to it, Jim. So I'm sure you'll see that okay. next time you check the message log there. Fantastic. Yeah, um, that's that's an interesting situation. Why don't you go ahead and tell people what's what's going on there, and we'll we'll start off with that and see where we end up with the health department and the vaccination effort. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm a county commissioner in southeastern Ohio. And a little over a week ago now, uh, our health department came into our meeting and informed us that our vaccination rate as a county was 30 percent. And this coincided with uh, the Biden administration saying that they wanted everybody to be at 70 percent. And, you know, that was going to be the benchmark for when we could stop hiding from this. Well, they came into our meeting and wanted to know if the commissioners would push the public or urge the public to get vaccinated and you know it really it just broke into a a conversation of some tough questions that i i had um i'm not going to say it didn't get a little chippy because i think it did but <laughs> to to really bring a little bit of a different topic talking point to this what i'm noticing right now is a real lack of skepticism on the part of our public health officials. I understand that I don't agree with them. I understand they don't agree with me. But I will tell you this. It does not take much skepticism at all over this vaccine to find information that really scares the pants off of people. So I'm looking at my community leaders thinking, are you guys really just jumping in wholeheartedly blind faith into this vaccine agenda because hey even if it is righteous even if uh mr rom even if you're wrong what's the, what's wrong with a little skepticism <laughs> yeah um it's it's an interesting situation you know i was on my morning show today i was talking about um hospitals and schools being some of the biggest areas of Nazism when it comes to this stuff. And they're also some of the places where you would think people would have enough brain cells to rub together to do a little research to at least see what's going on rather than just swallowing the Kool-Aid willingly and just believing whatever is coming down from on high from Herr Fauci and uh, the idiot bimbo that's running the CDC now and all the rest of these dinglings. Um, you would think that, you know, if being in the, the so-called health care, you know, if it's this county board of health and you took your 
job seriously, you would want to make sure that you were doing the best thing for your constituents. And instead of that, they're just pushing the party line without any question whatsoever, which makes me wonder, are you part of the, you know, you're definitely part of the problem right now. Are you willingly part of the problem or are you um, mistakenly or negligently part of the problem? Uh, Because you're definitely part of the problem. And, you know, that's what really gets me going with with all these people. You know, I I just had to sign up yesterday for a, an annual screening thing. Um, my I'm on my wife's health insurance in case I get run over by a bus or something because that's the only time I ever would use it for trauma care. And um, in order to get a discount on our rates, uh, we go in once a year and they take the blood pressure and check your body mass and all that kind of garbage. And, of course, this year they had the thing. Last year it was canceled because of COVID. And this year, uh, even though I'm not going in until September, they're saying that all COVID stuff will apply and all this junk. You'll take your temperature at the door, which I will not let them do. And you'll have to wear a face mask, which I will not do. And it'll be interesting to see what happens because on June 2nd, Ohio is dropping all of its COVID mandates. No more face masks, no more socialist distancing, no more limits on the number of people that can be in indoor or outdoor events. And uh, yet these morons at the hospital apparently are still going to push their requirements and I'm not going to fall for it. And it'll be interesting to see whether they actually let me in or if I just go home and waste my drive time down there. If they do, I might have to send them a bill for gas money and (laughs) see what goes on from there. But, um, you know, the the people that you would expect to be the most concerned are the least concerned and the most propaganda pushers. And it's it's really disheartening because it obviously shows that this has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with health. It's all about control and brainwashing and damaging the public and potentially killing them. You know, but I would have Jim, had some I really good questions for those people. <laughs> so, some news that I've been watching. One of the big key words right now that is is kind of representing the Democratic Party is virtue signaling, and I <laughs> think that's kind of at the core of the pro-vaccine argument. You know, not only should I not really be skeptical, I am a better person if I'm not skeptical. Not only do I believe in science, but I'm a better person than you because you're skeptical of the science. And it's it's been divided based on this this line in the sand where on the pro vaccine side, you have the smart people, the morally more polished people, those who believe the science. They, they have redefined morality as the people that stand on that side of this argument and take that stance. Well, if you believe in science, you're a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, you're, you're morally superior. If you're a Republican or conservative, then you're skeptical. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're a racist. It's just been another method of dividing the populace. And they've done a great job. And my personal opinion is that our local health officials are caught in the crossfire. I think by the time the vaccine came out, they were so exhausted by all of the previous protocol that they didn't have the energy to even look into it or investigate the people that were donating money into this cause. By the time they could actually vaccinate, they were exhausted. So 
I, I really don't know how to interpret that. I don't blame them, but I certainly wish that they would show a little bit more skepticism because I think they would find very quickly what the rest of the American public is thinking. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. When you say the science, you have to put quotes around it because the science that they're talking about is not science. There's no science that says that these things are tested, approved, safe, efficacious, you know, efficacious. Uh, there's none whatsoever. And the real science says just the opposite, that these things are killing people left and right. We're over 10,000 people dead in the EU and, and close to 5,000 dead in the United States. Dr. Judy Mikovits is expecting over 50 million to die from these things in the U.S. alone, and there's no reason for it. You know, you have to keep going back to we've got a, an illness that for the vast majority of the population, 99.9% .9 of everybody in the U.S., there is at least a 99.9% .9 survival rate. Why on earth do we need any kind of uh, injection I'm not going to say vaccine, injection, for a disease that has that kind of a survival rate. It's not well, for, it's not this, for sickness. It's well, all, let's it's have all... a little technical discussion here about how this works, because I'm educated enough to be dangerous and ask some good questions. Mm -hmm. So if I get the COVID-19 virus, my body will produce antibodies. We, we know this. We all mutually agree on this. We can go get tested for yeah. antibodies and that, you know that's a real thing both sides agree on that but why doesn't the vaccine work that way don't other vaccines cause your body to respond as if your body had the virus and then you produce antibodies it's no. my understanding that this vaccine <laughs> that's the theory but that's not proven different. in fact no vaccines have ever done any good that's that's the real science the fake science they're pushing is the idea that you're injecting either a killed virus or an attenuated virus, which is weakened into your body, which then causes the body to produce antibodies. And that's the idea. That's not necessarily what's going on. Basically, they're poisoning people with every single one of these things that they've ever rolled out. They've never, there's no proof that any of them have ever done any good. So that's the first thing. Vaccination has never been a, 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 val a valid uh, method of treatment. And the real thing is the human immune system, the perfect thing that God built into our bodies that we, if we take care of, will do a fantastic job of dealing with anything we come down to the pike. And the first thing that comes to my mind is these idiots will say, well, this is, you know, they, if they would have to admit that it's man-made first in order to do it, but this is special. This is something even God couldn't figure out. I don't go for that at all. God foresees everything. He knows what's coming. You know, he knew the end of the world before the world was created. You know, so don't tell me that he couldn't figure out that, you know, some idiot was going to create COVID-19 in a lab and release it. But the thing is, is these, you know, their, their alleged science is, is nothing but foo-foo crap. And the real thing is we go with what has worked over the eons that got our bodies were designed with, which is a naturally functioning immune system that doesn't work for a lot of people because they have run it into the ground. But if you take care of your immune system, it can handle anything and it will produce antibodies and do what it's supposed to do. So there's the, the big rub. 
And the problem is, is the people that should know the most about that, the folks at the Board of Health or in hospitals, know absolutely little, if anything, about it because they're all wrapped around drugs. They've been trained to be drug pushers. So they can't understand your, nat- your body's natural ability to fight off disease. And they're not about to think that, you know, that God is smarter than man. They believe man is smarter than God. And there's one of the biggest problems we have to face. And anybody that believes the right way, the biblical way, is, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you believe the Bible. <laughs> but, you know, the Johnny-come-latelys to this stuff, you know, the, the American Murder Association and such, they're the ones, they're the smart people, you know. And all you got to do is look at history to see how good that works. You know, the, everything that they've touched has turned to crap over the last hundred years uh, that they've been driving the school bus of supposed health. So, you know, their whole argument to start with is bogus. And that's why, just like when you're dealing with, you know, when you're talking and discussing things, as somebody wise once said, before we uh, discuss things, let's first uh, determine our terminology. We have to figure out what the words mean. We have to figure out the definitions before we can really talk about things. And they come in talking science when, in fact, what they're talking is absolute anti-science. And you first have to call them on that because you're right. The, the social justice garbage, the virtue signaling, the fact that, you know, I believe the science and I'm smarter when, in fact, you don't know squat about science and you're an idiot. That's the truth. And that, again, is biblical. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. Up is down. Down is up. And it just, you know, so you have to, you have to first establish a baseline where people are on the same playing field. And that's something that's next to impossible when you're dealing with the medical community because they won't admit to that kind of stuff. Uh, they have to come in on a pedestal making you think that they're smarter than you to start with. Otherwise, everything they say loses its effect and they can't hold water. And, well, uh, and that's the issue. There, there's no reasoning going on at all. It's just a matter of both sides waiting on the other side to adopt their argument. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just not going anywhere. Yeah. My thing, if I was a county commissioner, I would say, number one, I've taken an oath to uphold the, the Constitution, not your idiot science, not Joe Sleepy Joe Biden and the hoe. Uh, my job is to support the Constitution and to do my best thing that I can to support the people that I work for. Those people have God-given, constitutionally protected rights, and one of those rights is the right to say yes or no to make their own informed decision about medical procedures, and this is such. And as such, I'm not about to try and convince them to do something that I know from my research is wrong. And if you're too slow at the, you know, to pick these things up, Mr. You know, health Department person, I suggest you go back and do a little research on your own before you try and push somebody to do something that could be detrimental to their health, especially, and I go back to this, when the disease has a 99.9 plus percent survival rate for virtually everybody, except those that are already circling the drain. If they're already dying from type 2 diabetes or congestive heart failure or any number of another of 900 chronic health issues, they're going to die. And COVID might push them over the limit, but it's not going to, you know, it's, it's really no play either way. And the fact is that those are the only people that are at risk to this disease. So there. Well, you know. and let's, 
let's be honest about where at least this could be going. I don't understand why you have to be labeled a conspiracy theorist to know what your Bible says. In the very late, late chapters of the Bible, right? I think it's Revelation 18 or 19, it talks about the rich, powerful merchants of the earth that perpetrated some sort of attack on mankind using sorcery. And mm-hmm. sorcery is arguably, now some say it is, some say it isn't, a Greek word that was originally pharmakia. I know yep. you guys know that. Mm-hmm. But it is it is the use of drugs, the use of medicine, the use of toxins. And when you look at what the Bible is saying about this, this event, we don't know. It sure looks to me like this is where we're heading, but we don't know. It's certainly not unfair for me to think Oh my gosh, they could be setting us up for this event that I know happens. So what is wrong with my skepticism? My fear is it's people like us that they're actually would that they would actually want rid of, not the people that are receiving the vaccine. <laughs> you know, who would you rather build a society out of? A bunch of liberals or a bunch of conservatives? Let's be honest. However, the conservatives are typically the ones that are anti-vaxxers. So Mm -hmm. when you said, Jim, the last time we talked, that maybe this vaccine that changes your immune response and actually teaches this virus how to become better at killing, are we the ones that it's aimed at? The people who have not gotten vaccinated? Are we going to receive this deadlier strain? I don't know. But I think it's a fair question. Yeah, it's a broad brush or shotgun approach because they've designed this thing as the perfect killing machine. It will kill not only the people that take it, but it will have a very deleterious effect on those around them because they shed or transmit the spike proteins. So it's, you know, the people that while they're alive are super spreaders. And they die off, and they'll do so at a time which is far removed from the time they were injected. So they can, uh, the medical community and big pharma has the cover of being, well, there's no way you can tie it to the to the injection. You know, that was two years ago, but that was built into it. That was the whole idea behind it. It's going, the way it works on your immune system, it could be, you know, a year or two down the road when, your body comes across something that you no longer can fight because this thing has so fouled up your immune system, it can't produce the antibodies that it normally would do so very easily to protect you, and you die from the common cold. And that's the, that's the situation we've run into. So they're ultimately getting rid of the people that took the things, but they're also going to get rid of a lot of the other people who wouldn't take them just by being around the people that did. And that's a that's a dangerous scenario, but uh, it's like you said, like Dr. Sherry Tempenny, she says they're the that's the perfect killing machine, and they you know the whole idea is to reduce the population. And I'm a firm believer, you know, most people believe that they came up with the vaccines to deal with the alleged virus, and I believe it's the other way around. They came up with the the injections to kill people. And they developed the story of the alleged virus that they could scare everybody with so they could more easily get people to take these killing machines. And that was, you know, that's the whole situation here is the, the, the situation's been turned around and most people don't realize it. 
You know, it wasn't that they rushed these things to market. They already had them ready to go. And it was, okay, let's see how long we can scare them. The only thing that brought these things out as quick as we as it did is Trump saying, you know, they they were going to let it go for five or ten years, the normal length of time it takes for the uh, a so-called vaccine to be produced. And Trump says, well, we'll just put together warp speed and we'll make it go faster. So they were forced to roll the things out quicker, but they had them sitting there ready to go. And they had to give a little bit of time so they could make it look at least, you know, fit the story. But those things were ready to go, and, you know, they just used the, the media and the liberals to basically scare the living crap out of everybody so that even within, you know, 10 to 12 months, people were ready to start rolling up their sleeves. And then here in Ohio, we have this idiot governor who's rolled out a, um, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, oh, shoot, uh, lottery. If you've gotten at least one of these injections, you qualify to have, uh, you know, win a million dollars. You know, that is just totally unconstitutional, uh, you know, typical um, uh, discrimination, everything else. There's no reason, you know, somebody should file a suit against them, but they probably won't. And that's uh, the worst example of leadership I have ever seen in my life. Say that, that again. Lottery. Say that again. Mike DeWine and that lottery narrative, that is the worst example of leadership I have <laughs> ever seen in my life. Yeah. Whether you agree with his cause or don't, obviously in his heart, he thinks everybody should be taking the vaccine. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to win over a skeptical crowd of people, and now you're baiting money? You're holding money out as bait? Yeah. To get them to take it? That is not how you ease the mind of a skeptic. Nope, you but do that you sure you sure can. And that is the one thing that we must keep off the table. Yeah, they're not worried about that. They're just worried about getting the numbers up. And oddly enough, there's enough idiots in Ohio who, when they heard the chance, well, I could win a million dollars, you know, boom, they were, where do I go? How do I sign up? What do I do? And the numbers just started skyrocketing from everything I'm hearing. And it's just, you know, fine. Get them out of the gene pool. There'll be more room here in Ohio for people that have brain cells. You know, it's the way I'm looking at it now. It's just, you know, it might be cool or cruel or cold, but I'm tired of dealing with these idiots. You know, if they're that stupid, let all the mask wearers go out and roll up their sleeves, get the things. Uh, just hopefully they won't take too many of the good people with them. And, you know, as they used to say in Vietnam, kill them all, let God sort them out. Uh it's that's that's exactly the approach they're taking at this point and it's a scary situation and i mike's probably asleep back there in the background so <laughs> let's see what he has to say no i'm not asleep guys i've enjoyed listening to the conversation but uh you know i think i mentioned to you brad and i think that uh if i were in your position one of the things i would look into and maybe you have is that has your local county health department been offered financial incentives to up their rate of vaccinations it wouldn't surprise me i mean if the governor is willing to give away a million dollars in a lottery would he not also uh, make it uh, financially lucrative to the leaders of these health departments to push the vaccine as well from either from a positive or negative side out. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Brad. 
I, I just said that I'm going to consider that homework, and I will figure that out. That's worth knowing. Yeah, and look at it, it from might... both the positive and negative side, because either you might get extra money if you – uh, if you're good boys and girls and get the numbers up, but you may also lose money if you just sit there and mark time and don't improve. Either one of those things could be detrimental and would, you know, from what they're looking at, could make a difference and make them go one way or the other. I will find that out. And it would not surprise me either way. <laughs> Well, guys, to me, it just makes sense. I mean, if mm -hmm. I'm going to, as a governor, if I'm going to set out a program, if I'm going to offer free scholarships, uh, yeah. you know, which, uh, as you gentlemen mentioned it before, is totally unconstitutional. Uh, I'm not that familiar with the Ohio Constitution. But can the uh, governor actually offer incentives uh, for college uh, d degrees or college educations or a million-dollar lottery? Is that within the power of the uh, Ohio Constitution to use taxpayer money, which he will have to do, I believe, to uh, to run a lottery? Well, allegedly, I, I think there's some uh, some serious uh, constitutional questions here. Well, they claim that these funds are are unused COVID relief funds that they got from the federal government. Now, whether that's true or not is another story. That would have to be researched. And even so, if if it's unclaimed COVID relief funds, weren't those funds supposed to be funds that were supposed to go to the people who were in, you know, having problems because they didn't have a plate, they didn't have a job anymore and their businesses were failing and all that kind of stuff? Isn't that what those funds were supposed to be used for? Not a lottery exactly. to sucker people exactly, into taking Jim. shots. <laughs> you know? That's why I think that's why I think a lawsuit demanding mm -hmm. accountability of those funds and demanding an audit of those funds would be uh, right uh, right on board. Yeah, I would almost bet offer the, all these things. I would bet the Ohio Stands Up group is probably looking at that. Um, that's the group that's uh, already suing uh, the Department of Health and the governor over all this COVID crap in the first place. They've, they've got them in federal court in northwest Ohio. Um and they're also involved in other things. They're involved in, uh, they just uh, uh, introduced a bill here in the Ohio General Assembly that would basically just say all we want to see is transparency. So show us the facts. Show us the numbers. Show us the truth, the proof of what you're alleging. And, uh, you know, that will be a, a death knell to everything because everything they're doing is totally, <laughs> there's no truth or proof or science behind any of it. But uh, that's all they're asking for, which, you know, using the other side's play. But, well, it's common sense. You know, all we're asking for is, you know, clear, concise information. Where's the, where's the facts and figures, the science that led you to force everybody to wear face diapers for the last year or to close the schools or to do all this other stuff? And, you know, they're simply asking to see the science, but there is none. So, <laughs> you know, trying to get them to, you know, come up with it's going to be interesting. But uh, I would not be at all surprised that that same group is probably looking at a, a lawsuit for both of the things, the, the college scholarships and the, uh, uh, you know, the, the lottery stuff. Well, Jim, uh, my recommendation, I surely would hope that they would file that case in state court, because if they file that case in the federal court, the federal yeah. judge is going to tell them they have no standing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would not surprise me a bit. 
And that's the thing, you know, many cases, if you're dealing with state, it's better to go to federal court. And if you're dealing with the feds, it's better to take them to state court. Uh, but in this case, probably not so much. And, uh, you know, I, we've had fairly good luck with the state courts in Ohio dealing, you know, the local county courts have been pretty good at shutting things down. We just never hear about it because it doesn't play well for the news and their agenda. But we've had several court rulings here in, in, the, in the local county courts uh, basically shutting down local county Department of Health orders and that kind of stuff. Um, so there's, there's a good chance that we could uh, go to the state-level court and, and get some decent relief here. Uh, hopefully they will. And I'm sure these guys are fairly astute uh, attorney, so you know if there is such a thing. <laughs> but there, I was yeah. just going to question that statement, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> I had a feeling you would. That's why I threw that in there. <laughs> oh man! But uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And uh, yeah, that's just... that's almost analogous to a virgin prostitute, isn't it? Or military intelligence, or something like that. Yeah. Your basic yeah, oxymoron. Or a, or a <laughs> oh, jumbo boy. shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, I love it. But well, Jim, uh, uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I was thinking of as you guys were talking uh, here in the county where we are with our uh, uh, daughter and uh, you know our uh, grandchildren, one of whom had cancer, uh, which is uh, now in remission totally. It appears. Uh, they got a call because uh, my wife, a retired school teacher, has worked with our grandson every uh, school day uh, on his Zoom classes, taking remote classwork. Because in this county, which is a pretty uh, fairly good sized county, they have had both. They have had schools that have had, uh, you know, uh, home homeschooling by. Uh, video and they have had schools that you could actually attend so they made that an option at the beginning of last year mm-hmm. well the principal called my daughter and was asking her uh, if our grandson wanted to remain in the video schooling or if he wanted to come to a physical school for next year they were doing a survey so my daughter asked some questions, but one of the remarks from the principal was just absolutely was chilling. My daughter said, well, will they, if they go to the physical schools, will they be required to wear masks? And the principal said, well, you know, we really don't see that as a problem because right now we have some kids who won't come into the school without a mask on. Jeez. <laughs> So the indoctrination level that has been acquired in this 14 yeah. months of insanity is now we have young people who think they can't go into a public place without a mask on. Mm-hmm. How yeah, hard the, is that going to be to dispel over the coming months? Yeah, the brainwashing is just unbelievable. And that's what I've been wondering for quite some time when, when these uh, mandates are dropped how many, you know, just watching some of the other places, the businesses that have uh, continued to require them and that kind of thing, or people that just, you know, now there's uh, a movement out there that people are afraid to take them off because they'll be considered a conservative. 
So it's no longer anything about health, or never really was, but it's just what side of the political fence are you on? And you're afraid they'll be attacked if they take it off and all this kind of stuff. And that, you know, that goes from region to region, depending on the, uh, the beliefs in those general areas. But, um, yeah, they have programmed people, and they knew all along that, that would happen. And now they're saying, well, you know, we've got the vaccines, and as long as you're fully vaccinated, you can take your mask off. And, of course, that's just spreading more of the, you know, kill stuff all around and uh, basically putting in a situation where it's exactly opposite. They think if you're vaccinated, then you can move around and you can do whatever you want, and everybody else has to stay locked up, when in fact, if you've been vaccinated, you're the one that should be locked up for the rest of your life so that you can infect somebody else, because once you have one of these things in your body, you're going to be producing and shedding this junk or transmitting it forever, as long as you're alive, uh, is the best uh, information we've got so far there's going to be no end to it. And, you know, it's going to further divide the society because you have people, you know, that you can't come into our business unless you've had the shot. And now I'm seeing more and more. I've got a video here of a doctor who's refusing to allow people into his clinic if they've been vaccinated. He's telling them you have to stay home and quarantine for at least 30 days before you can come into my office. And he's looking at it from the standpoint, well, Probably if they got to wait 30 days, they'll just go somewhere else and I won't have to deal with them because 30 days is a random number he just grabbed out of thin air. And he even says so. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's further dividing this country in a time when people should be coming together. And again, it's the government forcing, you know, the programming on people so it becomes us against them. And we don't think or watch what the government's doing to us in the meantime, you know, what's been going on forever. Hey, Jim, I had a uh, question that I asked someone. They were talking about the vaccine, and I've uh, asked several people this. Uh, I said, okay, the vaccine, uh, even if you believe it is efficacious, is also we know that it's killing people. So in essence, what, we're ask what you're saying is that you are willing to play Russian roulette. Mm -hmm. So what... Are you willing to play Russian roulette because if you don't, you might die? <laughs> yeah, another oxymoron. <laughs> that's the thing. And that's the, the big part of it is people just believe the crap that is being put out by the talking heads on the TV instead of doing their own research. You know, granted, the, the Internet is a double-edged sword. But there, when it comes to doing research, all you got to do is go to PubMed.gov, a government clearinghouse for medical information. Just look at some of the, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, the Journal of American Medical Association. Uh, go to the CDC website. Uh, it's, you know, they purposely made that site so difficult to navigate so they can hide things. But if you look hard enough, you'll find the VAERS data, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System data, that shows that almost 5,000 people have died shortly after taking these things in this country. And hundreds of thousands of people have been um, affected or damaged to the point where they required medical intervention and lost time off work and things like that. So... And you have to realize that that system has always been notoriously inadequate. By their own admission, there's only about 1% of adverse events get reported to that system. 
So where we're looking at close to 5,000 dead, it could be anywhere from 50 to 500,000 dead from these alleged injections. You know, based on the death. based on the numbers. So, you know, that's the thing. You know, they've 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 vaccinated what about 1 what is it, one and a half million, something like that? Or, no, it's it a lot more than that. It's 100 million, 200 million, something like that. And out of that, you know, half a million might be dead. <laughs> That's, those are some big numbers. And the thing is, is more people have died from taking this vaccine in the last four and a half, five months than have died from all other vaccines combined in the last 15 years. That should make people sit up and take note. And that's becoming more mainstream. It actually was on, Tucker Carlson had it on his show last week where they went over the numbers. I was really surprised that they let him do that. But, um, you know, the information's out there. And it's government figures, if you consider CDC government, even though it's a private corporation. But, um, you know, those numbers are out there. And that, if that doesn't make you sit up and wonder, I got to wonder about you, your mental capabilities and your your natural inbred uh, desire for self-preservation but people just roll up their sleeves willy-nilly and take these things without ever looking at the and i'm not just talking about these i'm talking about all vaccines tetanus shots even you know as a christian i would never take one they all have aborted fetal tissue you know they all have toxic chemicals every single one of these alleged uh, covid shots have uh, um antifreeze propylene glycol <laughs> you know the, the the list of things that are in these injections why would anybody want to put that stuff in your body again for a, an infection that has a 99.9 percent survival rate you have to keep going back to that what's it going to do increase it to 99.92 you know you know a, a percentage of a difference and ask them and this is, uh, Brad, this is one for you. Um, you know, the facts and figures, when you look at the studies that were done by the companies that made these things and what they were trying to prove, they were not trying to prove that these things would prevent you from getting it or prevent you from spreading it. The only thing they were trying to do was lessen the minor symptoms when you got it. So you wouldn't get the cough or you wouldn't get the fever or you wouldn't get the shakes. And, you know, but there was never any... Uh, attempt to stop you from getting it or stop you from spreading it and it's a proven fact that they will not as a matter of fact i got another video here of somebody who works in a hospital that basically in their hospital the only people who've been in their covid ward for the last several months are people that were fully vaccinated 100 percent of all people in the covid ward fully vaccinated yet they got the disease anyway yeah so, i just read you know, an article talking about someplace northeast of Madagascar that's the most vaccinated place in the world and yet they're having a big surge of COVID because they said that the vaccines aren't helping them reach herd immunity or the vaccines aren't effective against particular variants <laughs> that are circulating in their society and I think now I don't know a darn thing about how viruses work how outbreaks and pandemics work but if this thing is the first of its kind how are there already variants? And if there are variants, isn't that caused by the human immune system? 
You know, this thing has to mutate to spread. It, it, it's trained to keep itself alive. So the only force opposing that is our immune system, right? Mm. <laughs> so then why does the vaccine actually capitalize on that very thing that makes it mutate? Aren't we just teaching it how to be stronger? Well, again, this, this begs the question, what is it that's making people sick in the first place? Because the CDC has, all, has come out and admitted that no one has ever isolated the alleged virus. They cannot prove this thing exists. I personally don't believe there's a virus. I believe it's the 5G technology that's out there. And what they are seeing is not a virus. It is an exosome that is produced by your body. And because people are different, the things they kick out when, they're, when their body is cleansing itself are going to be different from person to person. And what they're seeing is another strain is actually just one other person's exosomes that are slightly different from the ones that the other, you know, somebody else put out. And, you know, there's all kinds of different things because, you know, virus is nothing more than a theory. It's never been proven. Any virus, not just, you know, cold viruses, everything else. There's no proof that those things are actually doing what they think they're doing. It's just these idiots come up with a theory and they keep talking about it. And just because they keep talking about it, it turns into fact, like salt will cause, you know, high blood pressure. That's a total lie that was disproven a couple of months after the original study came out. But the MDs still tell you to avoid salt because it'll raise your blood pressure. And there's no truth to that whatsoever. It's a big lie. And it's the same thing here. So we don't know what's causing people to get sick in the first place. The, 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 the common theory is it's a virus, but there's no proof of that because it's never been isolated. So we don't know for sure what's causing it. All we know is if you keep your immune system up, your cells have a better chance of staying healthy. And, you know, that's why these uh, injections don't work. They have never worked for, the hist for as long as this stuff's been out there. The people that were alive in Edward Jenner's time thought he was a scumbag. The sucker never had a medical license until 20, 20 years after he started practicing where he bought one for 15 pounds from a Scottish college. You know, um, the, whole, the whole idea of vaccinations is just bull. And people that have been watching it and honestly, you know, being honest with their people and themselves all say the same thing. You know, it's one of the biggest scams in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, there's never been one that works. There's never one that did any good. And it's all designed to kill people. And that's what, you know, Bill Gates is all about. You know, a eugenicist. Kill off the people and we're going to use vaccines to do it. And yet everybody's lining up for Moderna vaccines that he's a big part of. It's, it's crazy. <sighs> Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> I'm ready to leave. <laughs> There's no intelligent life left for to speak of. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can say is at this point, you know, they, they may have gone overboard with it and they're going to kill off a lot of people. And when that happens, those that survive would be like the old German saying that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And hopefully we'll have the sense to redo things and string some of these suckers up for crimes against humanity and, uh, who knows what else, but uh, uh, it's a definitely an interesting time to be alive. That's all there is to it.
Well, I've rambled on. Somebody else take over. <laughs> Say something, Mike. <laughs> Mike, something. You, you sent that video. You want me to uh, want to talk about that a little bit? What's that? What's that, Jim? That video that you sent uh, about the um, the guys down in uh, the southern, where is it? Um, I've, I've got Texas. it right here. Um, watch uniform troops go to bars in 7-Eleven in Dallas and randomly vaccinate the younger crowd. You know, talk about uh, using a, it looks like a show of force and it looks like something that, you know, these guys are just showing up. They're using military you know, I'm assuming they're trained, you know, like medics and that kind of stuff. But they're just going out to these bars with a, they're rolling up in a little van or whatnot, and getting you know getting people vaccinated. And they're making it look, you know, a lot of people I think just look at it and they see, well, if there's a military, maybe I'm supposed to do it. Maybe I have to do it. There's a lot of immigrants down there that you know may not know what their chances or choices are. Uh, and of course, the young people who are bracing, you know, don't even know the name of the capital of their home state um, to have a clue about, you know, making a, an informed decision on something like this. Uh, they're not going to do much. So, yeah, I'll roll up my sleeve. Why not? Um, so, you know, I can play this short video if you want, and then uh, we can talk uh, about it. Jim, I don't think that's necessary, but I have to tell you, and I don't want to be, you know, controversial here. Yeah, but uh, I do remember. No, I don't mind being controversial. I never have. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the things that I first thought of when I saw that was, wasn't it Trump who said he intended to use the military in Operation Warp Speed? Yeah, he did say that. It was never as a mandatory thing, but this is, you know, definitely part of it. Uh, he was. He. I. I remember him saying that, and I dug dug into it and watched every recording I could find. And it was never, you know, a mandatory thing. But, you know, that's that's the idea is when people see the military, they just assume I must have to do it. You know, that's the that's the thing. It's the, you know, the unspoken mental aspect behind all this stuff. And, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I saw that and I was not happy about it then. I'm not happy about it now. Um, but, yeah, he did say that. Well, uh, my thought is this, and, and you guys know where I come from on this. I believe that the system under Trump was just as corrupt as the system under Biden because it's still the same government. Mm -hmm. You may have different personnel in positions here or positions there, but I still believe it's the same government. And so here we had the whole thing of which uh, Fauci said in 2017 that Trump would be faced with a severe pandemic situation mm -hmm. in 2020 well you know how the hell did he know that because they were planning and then <laughs> then we have the warp speed thing with trump trump never gets rid of fauci no matter how much criticism there is of him he never removes him because i'll be honest with you i don't think he could i don't think he would have been allowed to get rid of fauci so then fauci stays on with biden and trump says okay i will use the military which puts it in the minds of people which is a psyop. Yeah. So you put it into the minds of people to where, you know, uh, six, eight months later under a different administration, the military comes out to do it. People go, oh, well, they said they were going to do that in the beginning. You're right. So that's just my read on it because 
here's the thing, uh, guys, and I, I, I saw this several years back, especially when I happened to unfortunately be in the bowels of the beast. Is it doesn't make any difference what party's in control. It doesn't make any difference whose candidate is up here, whose is there. The powers of this government, you know, we have been told for a hundred years now. Even a Supreme Court justice told us the powers that ran this government operated behind the scenes. And I saw that up close and personal. I believe it today. And I believe that the whole election thing is a charade. They play to keep the people occupied while they uh, steal all their money and uh, and take their lives. No argument here. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you 100 percent, Mike. I mean, I, I preached a sermon last Sunday talking about that prophecy from Ezra that described that very secret force. These three beasts behind the scenes that nobody knows about and, you know, through through Barack Obama, there was no controversy whatsoever. But that uh, that vision does suggest that some sort of major shift took place from Trump, from Obama handing the baton off to Trump. But, you know, just because it's a different source of evil doesn't make it any better. So, I, you know, I don't know. Well, the one thing we know is the oppression is coming. And, Jim, I, you mentioned the uh, shots, of course, uh, the vaccinations, what jabs, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. We've uh, got a death toll from that that we're aware of. Uh, the numbers we are, are not aware of, but uh, any is serious. Uh, you know, why should anyone die from a something that's supposed to make them healthy? <laughs> so the, the, that very concept is uh, off the charts. But we do know also, and I believe this, I I don't know if you gentlemen read about it, about the polio vaccine and everything they did and the correlation between the polio vaccine and the later just absolute uh, wild increase in the rate of cancer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The SV40 virus, which is a simian virus that causes cancer, has been in everything since the 50s, at least. Not to mention the fact they've had aborted fetal cells in most of these things since about the early 60s. Um, you know, that stuff is just unbelievably, it just keeps replicating. It, it keeps getting put in for whatever reason. And why? <laughs> you know, why do we need well, a cancer virus in, in, a, uh, in a vaccine? Exactly. And uh, the other thing, Jim, and you and I have talked about this before, is uh, what uh, about these vaccines may be of a binary? Yeah. Uh, You know, that uh, a lot of people die now, but other people will die outside of the uh, period of being, you know, really, hey, let's watch this. Let's watch this. You know, as uh, uh, Dr. Tim Penny and others have said, you know, two to five years down the road, when people start falling over like flies and they can blame it on something else. But how do we know that this vaccine wasn't the origin of that problem? Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And it's, it's really, really crazy. Um, you know, I've read six books so far on COVID. I'm reading number seven right now. And I'm also reading one on vaccines called Vaccines, the Biggest Medical Fraud in History. And this goes back, they have... Um, uh, quotes from doctors as late as the late 1700s, which is when Edward Jenner was around and did the smallpox vaccine. And, um, 
Here's just a few things. Vaccine is a business based on fear. Dr. Gerhard Buchwald, MD. You probably heard comedians, actors playing doctors and scientists, news anchors and strangers online publicly proclaim vaccines are safe and effective. Vaccines prevent diseases and save millions of lives. Vaccines work. They're a blessing and a miracle to the human race. Even your doctor or pediatrician might be might have proclaimed in private that vaccines are safe and effective. What some physicians state in private about vaccines they never do uh, in public for fear of being sued uh, for malpractice. And I think that's kind of a reversal of what was being said here. But anyway, uh, this demonstrates that people can be brainwashed in three sentences repeated over and over and over again by different groups through different modes of uh, media. A lie told often enough becomes the truth. Vladimir Lenin. Anyone who thinks vaccines are safe and effective has never read a book presenting the other side of vaccination. They believe vaccines are safe and effective through the careful orchestrated advertising and market of marketing companies and drug companies who make tens of billions from vaccines each year. If you're busy and don't require a lecture on history of vaccinations, you only need to inspect the graphs and tables below and see that, uh, uh, <coughs> sorry about that, the thing switched on me, um, they're compiled from historical data and all this kind of stuff. Three things that cannot long be hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth, Buddha. <laughs> and, uh, but it goes on, and they actually have uh, a bunch of different doctors who uh, had different things to say about vaccination and that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, I'm looking at an e-book, and it's hard to find those things real quickly. But um, it's, it's just unbelievable. This is a book that I'd recommend everybody get. Uh, there's also another one out there that's available as a PDF that if anybody sends me an email, I will gladly send you a copy of it. It's called The Horrors of Vaccination, and it is eye-opening. It has photographs of children that were just, just you know, their bodies were destroyed from the smallpox vaccine and things like that uh, from early on. But the fact is vaccines have never stopped anything. Uh, most of the illnesses that were supposedly the reason for these things coming about were on the way out, and if anything, the vaccines brought them back. The polio vaccine, like you mentioned, uh, Mike, was, you know, basically polio was on its way out, and when they started using the polio vaccine, it started coming back. But what they did was they changed the name of the illness to things like multiple sclerosis and other stuff so that the you know, the vaccine, you know, the vaccine could, you know, they could use the lie. They said, well, we got rid of polio. But every single case of polio that's showing up now is from the vaccines because they can, they can trace it back to the DNA in the vaccine rather than live uh, wild uh, so-called viruses. But anyway. Uh, well, earlier, Jim, I mentioned uh, that quote by uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter. Let me give you that in its entirety, and it's very short. It's a quote, the real rulers in Washington are invisible and exercise power from behind the scenes, unquote. Yeah. Felix uh, Frankfurter. Were any of those uh, books you are reading, are any of those about vaccinations, are, is one of those by Eustace Mullins? No, but I do have uh, his book. Um, I've got Death by Vaccination and uh, or Death by Medicine, and it's a free download on my website under the support info tab. Um, but yeah, I met Eustace several years ago, and I had one of his books that he autographed for me, but in the life of me, I can't find it. If you can see my office, you'd understand why. <laughs> but uh, uh, 
this one is uh, I've got uh, on his on my site, uh, Death by Medicine, and he I think in that book he covers uh, vaccines fairly extensively. Um, but yeah, every book I've seen on that really looks at the science says the same thing: vaccines are a big hoax. Hey guys, I got to jump off here. I got to catch another meeting at two o'clock. Oh, okay, that's right. I remember you seeing that and seeing that in the note. So thanks for being here, and hopefully we'll see you next week, Brad. All right, thanks, guys. All righty. So it's just the two of us. <laughs> what do you want to talk well, about now? I don't know, Jim. Your show. <laughs> I, I always count on Thursdays being somebody else have to do it. <laughs> but I guess it still comes back to me. Oh, my goodness. You know, the, well, you know there's all kinds of things we could uh, discuss if you want to go into uh, uh, my area of uh, feigned expertise, I guess uh, some people would say. If well, you want to go into that, uh, is uh, our friend Robert still with us? Um, I don't think Robert hasn't been on board with us yet today that I can see. Oh, um, okay. But what I was thinking is, you know, the, there's no doubt in my mind that they're going to try if, you know, if the businesses aren't successful in forcing people to go through all this, you know, injections, that it would not surprise me at all that the Biden administration, if it lasts long, would try and, uh, you know, make it mandatory and of course there's there's one old case that went to the supreme court that was um, jacobson versus massachusetts i believe was the style of the case and they are and that was a 1905 case and all the uh even people like what's his chops um uh man uh little little jewish attorney that basically um uh, Dershowitz. Yeah, Alan Dershowitz. Even that little booger has come out and said that, you know, the governments can force vaccination if it's for the public good and all this stuff. And that's really not what was found in that. They're using that to sit in that opinion as the grounds for it. But when it was all said and done, the only thing they ruled was that if the person refused to take it, that they could be fined. And in this case, it was a $5 fine. Jacobs have never took the vaccine. He just paid a $5 fine, and that's all he was fighting over, <laughs> uh, which I, I think, it, you know, it, even that was unconstitutional. But well, um, they're claiming police powers and, you know, this all the, for the common good kind of crap. So uh, from well, your Jim, constitutional uh, perspective, roll out what you think would be the case here. Well, my point is this. I don't give a damn what the Supreme Court said. Amen. <laughs> they are not the be-all, end-all, final thing. They exactly. are absolutely not, and no government was ever designed which would give them a power above heaven. Amen. There you go. Now, and anyone who believes that has some serious problems. Uh, you know, the thing that bothers me is people say, well, our Constitution, you know, did this, that, or the other. Uh, you know, I go back and I look at especially one gentleman, especially from uh, Maryland, John Francis Mercer. And Mercer made one of the most poignant positions or, or took a poignant position. And he said that prior to the Constitution of 1787, each of the states, all of them, 
had their state court systems in which the jurors, either grand or pettit, had the final say not only on the facts of the case, but on the constitutionality of the law. Mm -hmm. And so if you brought, if the state of Ohio passed a, uh, a law and you uh, were charged for violating that law, a jury of your peers could say, okay, well, we've looked at the facts, and yes, Jim did this, but the law you charged him under is totally unconstitutional, and take it off of the books. Yep. Well, John Francis Mercer said what happened when the Constitution was adopted was that the power of the people acting in the juries was taken from them and put in the hands of unelected federal judges. <laughs> And Mercer said that was the reason he opposed, one of the main reasons he opposed the Constitution, because the power of judging law, the constitutionality of law, and judging the facts of a case were taken from the people and given to an unelected official in the new federal government. And he is exactly right. Uh, you know, when one federal judge can overrule millions of people in a state like they did in California with Proposition 187, like they've done in other places about, you know, uh, some of these abortion laws, where one federal judge, unelected, not responsible to anyone, has made a ruling that just says, okay, you millions of people who made this decision decide you want to do this, tough crap, you can't do it. There is no government anywhere that should ever have that kind of power or that kind of authority. Now, of course, even though you will say it's not in the Constitution that gives that power, yes, it was, and it was given the power through an unconstitutional act in 1789 called the Judicial Act of 1789, and then in 1803 with the uh, ruling in, uh, uh, Mad in the Madison case. Uh, Marbury versus Madison. Marbury v. Madison. Thank you, Jim. 1803. Mm -hmm. When that case came up, then that it wasn't an issue in the case, but John Marshall gave to the Supreme Court. He made the Supreme Court king of the country with that ruling in Marbury v. Madison. That's why lawyers are taught that their very first day of law school. Judicial Marbury review. v. Madison becomes their Bible. Yeah. And it uh, looks like we do have Robert with us now. Finally got him in here. Robert, what's up? Well, you right, Robert. Yeah, yeah. The first hour was just chilling, listening to you three boys. It was pretty good stuff. And so then I heard my name mentioned, uh, not an effigy or nothing, but uh, so I thought I'd call in. <laughs> so what's on your mind? Uh, you guys, and Mike was talking about good stuff just now, but you guys started talking about, uh, I thought I heard the uh, Constitution not being, Christ not being a Christian document. Ah. Did I hear that or... My, my, was my, were my ears? Well, they took out the religious test, which many of the many of the colonies yeah. had. And I'll let Mike fill in yeah. because he knows it far better than I do. So, Mike, go ahead and let us know about that. Well, that's a very, you know, I, and Robert and I both. Uh, I sent him a debate that he has watched, and he and I talked about that earlier today. But the question is, 
is is the Constitution a Christian document? I've I've done podcasts on that with different people. Well, here is the point, and I try to bring things down to as simple a point as is possible. Okay, in 1787, 12 of the 13 states had the mandatory oath to the Christian faith before you could hold public office. 12 of 13. So 12 of 13 said, yes, you must have say an oath to the Christian faith, not to religion, but to the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Well, when the people at the Constitutional Convention wrote Article 6, Clause 3, which did away with any oath to any religion, which faith did they get rid of? They got rid of the I mean, Christian 12, faith. 12 of 13 is a heavy majority. I don't care what you, you know, no one said, okay, no one said, well, uh, we're going to do this faith over this faith. No, we're going to get rid of all of them. Well, when you're get rid of when you're getting rid of all of them, if you had three states that had Catholicism, three states that had Christianity, three states that had Muslim, uh, you know, whatever, if you had those, then that Article 6, Clause 3 would have made sense. But when the overwhelming majority of states had an oath to Christianity and you say no oath to to a faith, to a religious faith, when you remove that, what you removed is oath to Christianity. Uh, You know, you can argue... Uh, people have argued to the contrary, but I, the facts do not uh, enforce that position. And Article 6, Section 3 says what you said it did, Michael. I looked it up and it said, no more oaths, no more. And no more uh, taking that so, a step further, uh, was which one of the uh, founders actually made the statement, if you remove the oath, um, we're gonna, what the results are going to be down the road? Well, that occurred at the North Carolina Ratification Convention, and it was uh, made by one Henry Abbott, who was a uh, convention delegate. And Mr. Abbott said, uh, if Article 6, Clause 3 is allowed to stand, the day will come in our country where our government is run by infidels, papists, and Muslims. And what do we have? What do we have now? <laughs> that dude should get a, you know, brownie points or the Cupid doll for uh, clairvoyance and being yeah, but a prophet. Nobody's ever heard of him, Jim. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> you think he was erased uh, from uh, history for that statement? Probably. <laughs> Man. So, uh, and several states tried to add amendments to nullify that. If you go back and do a complete study of Article 6, Clause 3, you will find several states wanted to add amendments to nullify Article 6, Clause 3 in the final Constitution, and they put those uh, amendments in as part of their ratification agreements, but yet the uh, first Congress, which was dominated by Federalists, the first House of Representatives, Uh, The uh, committee that James Madison put together to go through all of those amendments uh, excluded that one along with many others. They excluded that amendment and never debated it. So why was that amendment never debated in Congress? 
And furthermore, if if it was put in, I'm assuming that was a condition of acceptance of the Constitution by those states. So they basically took that condition out and went ahead with the acceptance, even though the state wanted this to be done uh, in, in as a conditions of their being on board with it. Isn't that well, correct? The Federalists were very tricky, Jim, and they said... Uh, basically, their agreement was amendments will be added <laughs> to the Constitution. Now, James Madison first attempted to put the amendments into the wording of the Constitution itself rather than add them as auxiliary amendments. Mm -hmm. But he was voted down in the Congress for doing that, and they were added later. But we have to remember that the House of Representatives was five to one Federalist. The U.S. Senate was 10 to 1 Federalist. And so the Federalists had written the Constitution. So who do you think viewpoint is going to go through the first Congress? Oh, yeah. The Federalists. Mm -hmm. So Madison promised amendments. He promised amendments at the Virginia Ratification Convention. That's how he got the Constitution ratified in Virginia. Patrick Henry was doing a yeoman's job of turning the people against this Constitution in its present form. Madison was running around at the convention promising people, just ratify it and I'll add your amendments. <laughs> but guess what? Not one of Virginia's amendments was adopted. The fix was in. Kind of makes you wonder what those people felt like when they saw the uh, alleged Bill of Rights brought forward and... Uh, Wait a minute, where's our stuff? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. yep. But the, the government was in control, and as I, I brought up on another program, uh, it's really interesting, Jim, to look at the letters that passed between these people involved in the Bill of Rights. It's really interesting to look at these letters because these letters are so telling. William Grayson, who was one of the only one of two anti-federalist senators in the first Congress, sent a letter to Patrick Henry telling Patrick Henry that what you said was exactly right, sir. This these uh, this constant these amendments, I'm sorry, these amendments will do more harm than good because they have been worded by lawyers <laughs> to mean anything and everything. Yeah and can be interpreted either way you want to do. And they went to a great deal of detail explaining how they used that their uh, attorney-lawyer trickery with the Tenth Amendment. And Richard Henry Lee went to a great deal of detail explaining this one to the uh, Virginia Assembly. And he said, they said, these rights are granted to the states or to the people. And he had fought in the Senate to make these powers belong to the states. But at the debates, the Federalists said, or to the people meant the people in mass. Didn't mean the people of the states. So when it says these, these rights are to the states or to the people, it means the people of all the states, not the people of a particular state. And Richard Henry Lee went into great detail uh, telling them, and uh, he said the thing, uh, and I love this this quote by uh, 
by Richard Henry Lee when he said, he said, these Federalists look at the liberties of a liberties of the people as a miser looks at the uh, at a, a money document. <laughs> they did not want the people to have any rights. And, you know, guys, look, let's look at it. The First Amendment to the Constitution, everybody says what a wonderful thing that is. The First Amendment to the Constitution allows any faith in this country. Yep. It does. You know, I always look at it from the standpoint of going back in history and seeing how the country was founded, even as back as, you know, to the Mayflower Compact. And they were there to to uh, spread or to advance the Christian faith. And everything, the way things are written, it shows that the Christian faith is the one, you know, faith here in this country, supposedly. Uh, there was, I think it was an 1895 case. Uh, I can't remember the, the style of it, but it was, uh, uh, the, the, the decision was that the U.S. was founded as a Christian nation. And, but the problem is, is the, the wording of this First Amendment is so vague that it basically allows for anything. But you have to look back and see that what they were looking at supposedly was, okay, that allowed for Lutherans, Methodists, uh, Baptists, you know, whatever. But they were, you know, people that were worshiping the God of the Bible. Uh, but that's, you know, now we have chicken chokers. and <laughs> You know, we got the, uh, the Muslims and, you know, everything well, else that comes along. Jim, I've had people argue this point with me when I said this. And they said, oh, it was a good thing that uh, uh, they didn't uh, restrict, that they allowed all forms of religion. That's a freedom issue that they did that. And I said, uh, mm -mm. okay, I said, uh, is it okay with you if you uh, have a birthday party for your children and uh, because of freedom you're going to allow pedophiles to attend? <laughs> that hits right down there, doesn't it? <laughs> I like that. It's it's, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, uh, have this mime or meme, I think is the correct pronunciation. I keep mm -hmm. messing that up. But here is here's the meme that I have. It says, did the First Amendment establish a Christian nation or authorize other religions which are anti-Christian? Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, it's, you have, it's, it's a purification issue. You know, we came here fleeing other countries that were, you know, had all kinds of crap. And the people that first came here were trying to, you know, be able to worship the God of the Bible as they saw fit. And to sit here and now have, um, you know, the perfect one, the perfect example is the Muslim faith. It's not really a faith, it's a political ideology. And it's designed around total conquest of the world. And it's, and, you know, it's totally opposite to our Constitution. And anybody professing that, you know, political ideology shouldn't be allowed here. But what do we got? We got these yahoos in Congress now. And look what they're doing. <laughs> well, Jim, I am looking for something right now that I wanted to uh, bring up in this discussion. Okay. So let, let me see. Go ahead and search. Uh, I may have brought this up. I've brought this up on other programs. If I've done it here, I, I do not... Uh, 
want to be redundant. Well, that's okay. It helps to hear things over and over to drive the point home. Um, that's why I ask you again to say the, the stuff about the, um, the gentleman in North Carolina, and I've already forgotten his name. <laughs> you and have to hear these a, things over and over to remember yeah. it. 1B, or 1T, I'm sorry, A-B-B-O-T. He didn't have yeah, two T's to his name. Uh, that's Kind right. of unusual. Uh, but I have seen it with two T's, though, uh, <laughs> over time. Yeah. But uh, if here's here's what I put in one of my articles, guys. So I'm going to be quoting from one of my articles, and it says, if this document was inspired by a Christian God and presides over a Christian nation, why would the founders at the convention demand that no oath be made to their faith, either in the federal or the state governments? What principles of the Christian faith were they seeking to distance themselves from and why? For the first time in an American governing document was no mention made of a deity. In fact, Benjamin Franklin would move the convention, submit themselves to prayer to absolutely no avail. And I got this from Benjamin Franklin's own biography. On the 28th of June, 1787, Franklin noted the daily prayers that had been held in the first Constitutional Convention and commented on the lack of same in the present venue. This direct quote came from the real Benjamin Franklin, pages 40 through 41 and 258 through 259. And here is the quote. Franklin said this at the convention. He said, in the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for the divine protection. The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel, unquote. So then Alexander Hamilton protested and said that calling in the clergy would lead to fears in the public that there were embarrassments and dissension within our convention. It was also reported that Hamilton opposed prayer at the convention because he did not support intervention into the proceedings of a foreign power or aid. Franklin would write on the failure of his proposal, and I quote, the convention except for three or four persons thought prayers unnecessary. Now here's my question. At that time, there were 55 delegates at the convention. If there were 55 delegates there and only three or four embarking on that kind of monumental exercise only thought prayers were necessary, when in your entire life have you ever seen that many Christians with only with only three or four wanting to pray? Good question. Good question. Yeah. So, so here is, but, uh, you know, there we also know that at the convention, a man from these, and I've got his name here somewhere, but a man from the synagogue, he said, I am of the synagogue of Pennsylvania, of Philadelphia. And I wish that any oath to the Christian faith be removed because Jews 
cannot take that oath and still hold office. Well, there you go. It had to come out. So who who did the founders support? The Christians? Or the people who wanted the oath removed so they could serve in political office? I think you just answered that question. Uh-oh, I didn't put you to sleep, did I, guys? No, no, I was no, just no, uh, no, responding. No. Uh, you, you, Rebecca your, your in the chat room, we had a, a picture that Rebecca in the chat room put in of some Muslims that are trespassing on her property, even though she has signs up. So they've got some sort of a Muslim center or something behind her property. And here's this uh, heavyset black woman dressed like a, uh, well, she's not, I can't tell for sure. You know, all you can see is uh, she's dressed like a... Uh, um, one of those patio umbrellas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the best way to put oh, it. All you can guys, see is a little slit with her eyes and everything else may, is all black. I would also like to read a quote from the Baylor Law Review in fall of 1996, which can be found on Baylor Law Review 48, 928, pages 928 through 930. And it says, and I quote, one of the most striking features of the United States Constitution of 1787 is the absence of an explicit acknowledgement of the deity or the Christian religion. The invocation of a deity to authenticate or attest to divine sanction for public acts or decrees is a tradition that predates the Christian era and is found in non-Western as well as Western cultures. In this respect, the Constitution departed from the pattern of most public documents of its day. The Declaration of the Causes and Necessity for Taking Up Arms, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, virtually all state constitutions and other official documents are replete with claims of Christian devotion and supplication for the Supreme Being. However, the federal Constitution makes no such religious affirmation or declaration even of the perfunctory kind that was typical of other documents written by the framers. This submission is remarkable, since despite any revolutionary ardor of the time, there was little sentiment that the now Republican order broke with the prevailing Christian traditions of the American people. Hmm. Unquote. Now, I've had people tell me that it's a Christian document because at the very bottom of the document, it says in the year of our Lord. <laughs> I'm serious, guys. I've had people argue with me that that made it a Christian document. Man, that's crazy. And we're a Christian nation, right? Yeah, that was common in the time in that time to end and you know put a date on things, and that's that was the common usage. But for them to sit there and say that that made this a Christian document, that's a joke. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I tell you, what's this world coming to? What's this country coming to? You know, we well, sit there and let all the people in that, you know, we were running from when we came here. And now we wonder why the country's turning into the same kind of a blank hole that it was, you know, all those other places were. You know, we've allowed it. 
in you know acceptance. Yeah. You know, everybody's welcome here except a Christian. You know. Well, guys, it's kind of uh, funny that it occurs this way, but uh, I'm doing a program tonight that begins at 8 o'clock on Blog Talk Radio, and the uh, guy asked me to come on with questions uh, to ask about the Constitution because he believes people deal with questions better than they do lectures, and I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. So I have composed a group of questions that I will be asking tonight. But one of them is this one, and uh, uh, Robert, I know you keep uh, sources right at right there at your hands. Uh, would you look at Article 6, Clause 1, and read it for me, please, sir? Article 6, Clause 1. Yes, sir. Uh, just a second. You caught me uh, flat-footed, as they say. Well, it usually doesn't take you too long. All to debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of this Constitution shall be as valid against the United States under this Constitution as under the Confederation. All right. But what do you find ironic about that that phrase, Jim? Let me just look at it again here. <laughs> Hello? Jimbo beat me to it. <laughs> okay what what do you uh I'm, what do you find unusual about that jim or if anything well basically they're comparing the uh the constitution and the confederation and they're acting like the confederation is no longer valid when in fact it really is is that what you're getting at no no nope. that uh, is a very valid point though but let me uh throw this something in there is it possible to expect a convention established on deception to produce anything but more deception? Article <laughs> 6 abounds with questions about deception. In Clause 1, which reads as follows, all debts con contracted and engagements entered, entered into before the adoption of this Constitution shall be as valid against the United States under this Constitution as under the Confederation. This question must therefore be asked. Why only the debts against the United States and not those which were owed to the United States were valid? Good point. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's where you're going with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the reason being is that there were quite a few delegates to the U.S. Constitution, Constitutional Convention who owed money to the United States. <laughs> There's your answer. Whereas <laughs> the blue collar guy saying, eight delegates from Pennsylvania owed money to the United States, so they created a constitution that once it was ratified, they didn't owe anything. Bingo. That's a trip. Uh, Samuel's called in, so I want to see if he's got a question. Samuel. Uh, might have had it answered. I was going to follow up on Michael commenting on the debt holders. Um, and, of course, I'm, if I bring this up with my uh, friends and uh, family around out here, they're, they're going to say, well, so what if they were the debt holders? Um, who wins the revolution without the money? How about, how about coming against that? Well, who wins the revolution without the money? Well, the money originally was loaned, the only money that America had when the finances was turned over to Robert Marsh in 18, uh, uh, first day of my new lips, 1781, 
The only money they had was gold that had been loaned from France. And there was something over $400,000 in gold. Robert Morris, having complete control, which he demanded before he would take the position, Robert Morris took $270,000 of that gold. In other words, he embezzled the gold. He then loaned that money first to his friends, both in the United States and in England. He loaned them the money so they could then buy stock in his bank, which he created in 1781, called the Bank of North America. So these people, Robert Morris's friends, bought stock in the bank with the money that he loaned them. So they had zero investment of their own into the bank, but they now own stock in the bank. Morris then took this money and loaned it to the United States government, of which the government had to pay taxes on money that had been loaned to them twice. They had to pay the taxes to France, I mean the interest to France, and they had to pay the interest to the stockholders of the bank. (laughs) Sure he is not Jewish? Uh, Well, he had some connections, let me say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Sounds like the little shell game that the Pelosi and uh, uh, I can't remember who else out there in California did with federal funding and their high-speed rail. Sam, you yeah. probably know about that. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. He, def- he definitely knew how to uh, throw a mean financial curveball. Mm-hmm. Well, and ironically, gentlemen, if you will look into this, and I did this, I've been doing it for 30 years now. If you will look into this, you will find that Alexander Hamilton sent a letter to Robert Morris before Robert Morris took the job as financier. Alexander Hamilton sent a letter to him proposing this scheme. Oh, man. How, how much was the uh, amount in gold again coming from France? It was something over $400,000 at the time. Wow. Half of it. Wow. Man. So he wow. took well over half, $270,000. <sighs> That's a trip. He just took, nobody tried to stop him. Well, he had been given autonomous uh, powers, guys. The Congress had agreed to, because he said, I won't take the job unless I am totally in charge. Was that, that also that old adage in this financial world that we're living in is that the ones who really know the truth are going to be making so much money, they're going to keep their mouth shut. Exactly. I'm sure that Based okay, on a little guys, roughness, that's about $68 million in this day and age. From what okay, I mean. I'm sorry, didn't mean to step on you there. I was saying that's about $68 million in you in current money. You know, I'm, right. I'm figuring um, maybe $10 an ounce for gold at that point. That's 40,000 ounces times uh, 1,700 is about 60, what did I say, $68 million? Right. Jeez. Well... During, uh, let me give you a little background. I've written a 10 lesson uh, deal on Robert Morris for any who would be interested. But um, 
here is uh, the beginning. Uh, during 1780, before the stirring successes in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, the people who would become Federalists dreamed of a national military dictatorship. General Philip Schuyler raised the call for dictatorial powers to be given to George Washington in the spring of 1780, and such leading uh, Federalists as James Duane, Alexander Hamilton, soon to be Schuyler's son-in-law, and George Washington himself were receptive to the idea. A convention at Boston in August representing Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Hampshire issued highly Federalist resolves, including the payment of Continentals by taxation, the creation of executive boards in Congress, and a virtual executive dictatorship. In Boston, meeting inspired the New York, the Boston meeting inspired the New York legislature in mid-October to call for great internal power to be given to George Washington. In November, the New England Convention met again at Hartford and urged great power to Congress, including taxation to pay interest on the public debt and far greater power for Washington. In response to this rapid drift rightward, the left tried to counterattack by proposing a radical decentralization of political rule. The right and the left back then, guys, were opposite to what they are today. Throughout New York, for example, local precinct and county committees arose, and Albany County delegates called upon everyone to a recommence acting by committees. But these vague phrases quickly proved abortive. Meanwhile, young Alexander Hamilton, who was emerging as the brilliant premier theoretician of the Federalist forces, adumbrated the long-range conservative nationalist program in a letter to James Duane. Ultimately, wrote Hamilton, a new constitutional convention must be called to endow a central government with complete sovereignty over the political, economic, and military life of all the states. And above all, this political power must be based on the coercive economic power of various forms of taxation which power Congress conspicuously did not have under the Articles of Confederation. Now, I could go on and on, but I don't like to read to folks. But that shows the very beginning of how these people came together with these ideas. These people who wanted a monarchy, who wanted one executive, who wanted to destroy the powers of the states, then placed full power and control in the hands of Robert Morris. And Robert Morris, it was a very... It was quite a contradiction. Morris said, look, if I am put into this position, then I can appoint all members to committees in government. And not only that, he had a company called Willing and Morris that he had a partnership. And he also said that my company will be allowed to sell war materials to the United States government United States military at that time, and they will get their supplies from my company. That's a conflict. Holy smoke. <laughs> Shades of 2021. Right. And so if you look at what Robert Morris said in one of those letters during the time that the Congress was debating, was debating the uh, uh, Bill of Rights, during that time, a letter from Robert Morris to Francis Hopkinson, they were talking about uh, James Madison and his pushing amendments. And Robert Morris says, well, I believe that 
James Madison is haunted by the words of Patrick Henry. And I'm not sure exactly what kind of amendments he will push for, but if he if they pass the right amendment, I will hang. <laughs> Who said that, Mark? Robert Morris. He should have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, too, too bad he, he wasn't right in that. They should have hung him. <laughs> well, no, see, he became a senator from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first senators from Pennsylvania. So... Uh, Morris uh, continued to be, uh, there are conservative elements that will say that uh, probably, well, the only anti-Federalist that really went after him was Sentinel, which was Samuel Bryan. And Samuel Bryan said that uh, probably during the course of the entire war that Robert Morris and his people embezzled something in the neighborhood of $17 million dollars. Jeez. During the Revolutionary War, no doubt. And isn't there a this came to, this came to, isn't there a William and Morris University somewhere? I'm it's not William sure. William and Mary. Yeah, I, I think I've heard that. William uh, and Mary. Just, William I know and Mary. Sure. That's in Virginia. Yeah. Okay, I could be wrong then. But uh, ironically, Robert Morris uh, ended up in debtor's prison. His he scheme spent finally caught up. Pardon me. He went through that seventeen million. Yes. Wow. He went through most of it in land speculation. That's a lot of land. A lot of speculation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. Well, he ended up broke. Uh, you know, and it's, guys, when you really get down to the study, it's amazing how many of the people we call founders who ended up broke. Man. Jefferson was $10,000 in debt at his death, which back then was a lot of money. Aaron Burr was uh, destitute. Uh, So many of them were actually destitute. Uh, Patrick Henry was quite well off, though. He was a farmer, wasn't he? He Well, he was a farmer. He owned a plantation. and he had, uh, it's uh, Red Hill now. I would highly suggest any of you who ever have the opportunity there in Virginia to go to Patrick Henry's plantation, what is which is now a state park called Red Hill. In Virginia. The, mm-hmm. the, the current patriot community puts this to their great sacrifice during the war. Oh, yeah, their great sacrifice. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's because the current patriot community went through the public fool system. Yeah. And my daddy wasn't teaching history. (laughs) Well, for any of those folks who are listening who might be interested, I have a couple of uh, uh, places where you can catch on to some of these uh, historical facts on Telegram. And one of them is constitutional fraud, and the other is the rebel madman. I would invite you to, uh, we're trying to do a lot of transition to Rebel Madman. I would like to invite anyone to come on to Telegram and take a look. I know you do, Jim. Yep. Yeah, I, I, my biggest problem is I I love the stuff, but my, the time, (laughs) I'm a slow reader and there's a lot to read, but I, I get in there every chance I get 
and I read through stuff, if, even if it's just hunting and pecking and chipping, you know, looking around. There's a lot of stuff in there that I'm just like, man, I never heard this before. <laughs> it's good well, stuff. I would, uh, you know, what is uh, one of the things I'll get into tonight? I don't want to give away my coup de grace for tonight, but uh, one of the things is how the people who led the army of the revolution turned on the people who fought it under the first government. That seems to be a common thing, too. New Constitution. Look what happened at the end of World War One and the bonus marchers. You know, same kind exactly. of a deal. Yep. Same thing. You get, you yep, know, but, the more, yep. you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, you know? but the precedent had been set by George Washington and Alexander Hamilton. And, gentlemen, I have it on very good authority. And it looks like uh, it's going to be uh, published in August of this year. There is a book uh, coming out which will document the fact that Alexander Hamilton was, in fact, Jewish. Really? Yes. Huh. Wow. Interesting. You're writing it? No. It's being written by people who are, in fact, Jews. Hmm. And they're they proud of the fact, probably. <laughs> they're claiming it now because they feel like they're safe. Huh. That's a trip. Henry sure. Kiss My Ass would say they're just dumb animals. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a goyim. Uh, how did uh, how did uh, Alexander Hamilton, at a very young age, as a teenager, get the money to move from Nevis, from the uh, island of Nevis, and come to the United States and go to uh, you know what was it, Princeton, uh, to get a full education, and then end up on George Washington's staff? How does that happen? Scholarship. <laughs> Yeah, there was a scholarship, Robert. Who you paid for it? You had a sugar it? daddy. <laughs> that, re that reminds me of. Well, before uh, before we Eisenhower, you know, uh, when MacArthur wanted to throw him out because he was totally incompetent, and then he gets promoted through the ranks to become the head of that whole mess. Well, you that's know? a great point. That is an absolutely great point, because any of you who are familiar with military rank, and Jim, I'm sure you are, mm -hmm. how, how does someone go from a lieutenant colonel to a four-star general in five years? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you're lucky to go from lieutenant colonel to colonel, maybe brigadier in that length of time, if you're really performing. But there ain't no way you go from that to general. Well, that's what Eisenhower did, because before the war broke out, and well, of course, Eisenhower met FDR's daughter, uh, which really promoted his political career in 38. But then uh, when the before the war broke out, Eisenhower was a lieutenant colonel with absolutely no combat experience whatsoever in, you know, 1940. Uh, era and then in 45, uh, five years later, he is a four star general. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that uh, in his uh, alumni, one of the people who signed his annual signed it to the terrible Swedish Jew. <laughs> I'm not sure of that, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't discount it, uh, but uh. I, I'm not aware of that, but which doesn't mean wow. it's not true. That's a trip. Wow. Yeah, I would bet that Eisenhower, like many, was uh, really relying on his uh, underlings like Marshall and um, uh, what's his chops? Um, 
Bradley, and Patton to some. Well, guys, the 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 man there was Patton. There was no doubt yeah. that Patton would Patton would have ended that war a year earlier, and he was he told his wife, "I'm going to uh, I'm going to leave the army. I'm not going to retire." This is after the war's over, 45. Mm. I'm going to leave the army. I'm not going to retire. I'm coming home to America, and I'm going to tell the American people how about 90,000 men died uh, at Bastogne and uh, Battle of the Bulge and other places, how 90,000 Americans died when that war could have been over a year earlier, and it was intentionally allowed to continue. Yeah. And he was going yeah. to put the whole thing about Filet's Gap and how he had almost completely encircled the German army and it scared Eisenhower to death. Eisenhower pulled all of his supplies and just shut him down so the Germans could escape through the Palais Gap. And a lot of it was Which to make points the with the Brits and let Montgomery get a lot of the good goodies. Uh, well, they took all of uh, uh, Eisenhower's supplies and shipped them to Montgomery who was still stuck in the hedgerows. Yeah. I mean, that guy was an absolute bonehead. And if, they, if they'd have just been in it to win it you know you're right Patton would have just kicked butt and took you know forgot names well unfortunately he didn't know that uh, the combination of the NKVD which later became the KGBI mm -hmm. uh, I mean K uh, yeah anyway the, the NKVD and the uh, OSS were working together the Russians and the Americans were working together intercepted his letters <laughs> to his wife and within a very short period of time, uh, he was dead. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. He was. Crazy stuff. Before we forget. Yeah, there's, a, there's a book on that American assassin who did the hit. He said that, uh, that Patton was so tough, that didn't kill him. But in the hospital, it was the Russians that finished the job. Well, hmm. I believe that to be totally true. Because if you look at, well, if you uh, go to Patton's staff car, which is in, uh, uh, Fort Knox uh, uh, in Kentucky, Fort Campbell, I believe, or Fort Knox, one of the two. If you go look at that Cadillac, that Cadillac's a 1953 Cadillac. Yeah. It was like There's one no of his tanks. There's no way that was Patton's staff car. Uh, and that's part of the fraud. But the other part is is that the collision took place. He was hit by what was what we call the deuce and a half. He was hit with the deuce and a half. The only person injured in the entire vehicle was Patton. Even his dog wasn't injured. <laughs> That's a trip. And if you will look at, uh, there's a great book out there, gentlemen, called The Men Who Killed Patton. And that is a great read, extremely well documented. Well. Okay, um, Mike, before we forget, you got two websites, rebelmanman.com and embracingtheobvious.com and you got the show tonight. What other shows are you doing? I do a uh, program on uh, tomorrow at noon on Revolution Radio called uh, Dare to Think Out Loud, and or just Dare to Think, damn it. And uh, <laughs> then, I've got, <laughs> then I've got a program on Sunday called Addicted to Our Own Destruction, which uh, all these people run around screaming, my constitution, my rights, they're addicted to the document that's going to destroy them. And uh, that's the point of that program. And the hours and on that from 6 to 8, right? Eastern. And that's at 6 o'clock Eastern. And this week, uh, Jim, you're my guest. Yeah. Along with Robert. <laughs> a good time will be had by all. And uh, DW. And so, Jim, don't forget. 
Yeah, I've got, that's why I wanted to double check and make sure. Make sure you send me the uh, coordinates again as to how to get on. <laughs> well, what uh, you're just be on Skype. I'll call you. Okay, that'll work. That'll take care of it, and then I'll call you're you too, Robert. About that. Uh, okay, you're going to talk about that tremendous Christian document. Uh, yes, we will be discussing <laughs> said document. I promise you. And that's six p.m. or six p.m. <laughs> Eastern to eight, right? That is 6 to 8 Eastern. Yes, sir. Cool. I will set my alarm. <laughs> All yeah. right. And as I mentioned before, don't forget the Rebel Madman on Telegram. Yes. Please. Rebel Madman and uh, what was the other one? Constitutional Fraud. Constitutional Fraud. Yep. Is that deal on Telegram similar to what you do on Facebook, uh, uh, Mike? Uh. You know, what I try to do is try to reach as many different groups as I can, and I wouldn't say that they're similar. Uh, they're probably similar in construction, but probably not similar in content. Oh, okay. Okay. Hmm. And, and Jim, I, I really appreciate uh, you uh, giving me the opportunity to be on your program each week. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm, I just love having you here. I, and thank you, Robert, for recommending it. Uh, it's been absolutely uh, wonderful, and it's been what almost two years, I think now, and we've just had some fantastic discussions. I, I think I have to go back and check, but it's been a year and a half or so at least, and it's been wonderful. I, I always look forward to Thursdays, and there's always so much going on. It's just uh, fantastic. I just uh, really enjoy it. So thank you for being here, and again, thanks uh, Robert for recommending it. Uh, you hooked us up, and it's been great ever since. Hey, guys, if I could, uh, all of the links to all of the programs I appear on will be found at the Rebel Madman on Telegram. Oh, cool. Awesome. That's good, because I keep forgetting. <laughs> now I know where to go to find them. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a link to the program tonight for any who is interested on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, there's a link uh, listed there. Uh, for that so you can just uh, click on that link and uh, listen in cool that sounds great and there's a call-in number for that pardon me robert there's a call-in number for that correct yeah you just call in and listen yeah yeah i've got that number okay good glad to hear that guys and again uh you know thanks brad for coming on uh, uh too yeah. bad he couldn't be with us for both hours but it's always great to you know, I try to sit by and listen to what he has to say. He brings a lot to the table. Oh, I'll tell you what. Yeah, he's got a lot of great insight. And it's interesting just to have someone who's appear, apparently just starting to wake up to what's going on around here um, and having it from a Christian perspective and a businessman's perspective uh, and mm-hmm. still working as a county commissioner. That's that's quite the trifecta. And uh he found himself thrown into some stuff that he didn't think he was getting into at the time, I'll bet. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how things go, but um, he definitely got a, a waking, awakening here in the last year or so. But uh, hopefully we're able to help him a little bit with uh, some of the things he's got to deal with. Well, I sure hope so, too, and I appreciate uh, your assistance, Jim. And uh, I, I think he needs a voice. And uh after I talked to him for two or three months, I felt like, uh, just like you said, he had the trifecta going, and it was really uh, one of those uh, uh, opportunities we don't want to miss. Oh, yeah, and uh, hopefully it might be a stepping stone. We'd love to 
Yeah. One of these days might just get him his own program. Shoot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That'd there be a go. great thing. There you go. Always looking for good on-air talent, you know, somebody to, you know, yeah. fill in for where I can make up for me. <laughs> I don't think we need anybody to make up for you, Jim. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I enjoy being here. I just don't know how, if I'm doing any good or not, but, you know, I have fun on my afternoons that way. I don't have to worry about being out getting in trouble. <laughs> hey, Jim, uh, if we go back to Isaiah, he tells us there's a remnant out there we will never know about, and that's our job. That's right. You know, that's the thing. You know, I, the way I look at it, you know, it's too late to wake up the sheep. We just have to organize the sheep dogs and wake up the lions and there's a few of them out there that, uh, and I think uh, I think Brad fits right into one of those two. I'm not sure yet whether he's a sheepdog or a lion. <laughs> Maybe a little of both. Interesting combination, but uh, that's what we got to do. Shows, Jim. What's that? Hey, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your questions. Yeah. Yeah, I said that. I, I learned a lot from your shows, Jim. Well, I appreciate I, it, Sam. I'm 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 lesser man <laughs> when I'm not listening. <laughs> well, anyway, we're out of time. I went a little farther than we should have. Uh, music starting, but uh, we're out of time. We'll be back live on Monday. Tomorrow's replay. Mike and Robert and Samuel, everybody, thanks for being here. Take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. We'll see you all soon. Take care. Have a great weekend and God bless.